Spread the Fire fam, welcome back to SMWX and we have a two-part conversation for you with the brilliant Lukona Mguni. He's a political analyst. You may have seen his work on Power FM. And in this episode, which is broken into two parts, we dived deep into South African politics, looking at the ANC, the DA's recent statements about a potential partnership with the ANC. We also looked at the 2022 elective conference. But after that, and in part two, and I must say this is a really interesting section of our conversation, we looked at what would South Africa look like beyond the ANC? Because ultimately, we need to start appreciating that that's a serious possibility and we need to start thinking about it. And Lukona gave his thoughts after an SABC interview where he said that South Africa and especially the younger generation in South Africa needs to start imagining this country beyond the ANC. So I hope you enjoy, like, share, subscribe, comment down below, and make sure you help SMWX get past 20,000 subscribers. We're on the road to 20,000. So hopefully we get there. Thank you for watching. Enjoy. Ayeye. Spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. And today I'm extremely excited to be joined by political analyst and radio host and personality these days, actually. Uh, Lukona Mguni, one of South Africa's most exciting young thinkers. And uh, it's been a long time coming. He had me on his show on Power FM. So I said, I'll, I'll come on the show, but you have to come on SMWX. So here he is. Um, Lukona, thanks so much, bro, for coming on SMWX. It's been a long time coming indeed. We just haven't really sort of found the time, I suppose. Uh, finally, come at the time, come at the hour. <laughs> now, this is going to be this is going to be fun. And there's there's so much happening in our country that we could we could talk about any number of things. But I wanted to start right at the, the, the current affairs of the nation and you know, I was quite interested to see John Steenhuisen coming out and and trying to divide the ANC into reformers and radical socialists, and he says that there's a rational centre that that needs to be found in South African politics. Of course, apparently the DA is also part of this rational centre, by the way, and uh, and. Maybe if push comes to shove, that rational center, including the DA and elements of the ANC, could do business. Uh, what do you make of this this statement? Well, you know, this is not a new statement, at least in the in the correct circles behind the scenes that you know talk mm -hmm. about uh, political realignment and, of course, coalitions and where we probably should be thinking in terms of the future of South Africa's politics. <clears throat> and I think Stian Hazen is probably trying to do two things. One, preempt a conversation within the Democratic Alliance that foresees the possibility of a coalition with the ANC in the future to come. And of course, on the other hand, as you are saying, potentially divide the ANC. But I think the secondary one is accidental. 
rather than intentional. I don't think he sought to divide the ANC. Uh, earlier today, I listened just to a brief uh, comment between Stian Hayes and Helen Zeal. Uh, they were hosted by uh, their national spokesperson on this issue, Simbiwe, mm -hmm. um, in her roundtable. They were discussing coalitions and realignment of political parties. <clears throat> and it's quite clear that the DA knows it will not get 50% plus one as a popular vote in the national elections. But evidence has been pointing to the reality of a declining ANC in terms of its electoral gains. I mean, for the first time in 2019, the ANC was struggling to hit the 10 million mark of votes. And it lost 1 million votes between 2014 and 2019. So in that span of time, it lost a million votes. It's well under 60% in terms of its popularity. And so the possibility of an ANC not getting 50% plus one is a serious one. And it's high on the agenda of our politics. This poses a dilemma for all political parties as to where would you go? Because a, a, a condition where a coalition government can be formed means that you too can become part of that government if you so volunteer yourself to be part of a coalition. Now, when the DA talks about this rational center, they position themselves as the most constitutionalists in the country, and that they are, in fact, quote unquote, the vanguard of constitutionalism and the rule of law in the country. Of course, in some instances, they will point to certain victories they have had in the courts, but they forego uh, inward looking analysis to say, but what is our form of politics? We seem to have been alienating black people. Uh, black leaders have been resigning and Marseille. Our focus in terms of politics, we seem to be far righter of the African Forum and the Freedom Front Plus in some instances, adopting struggles of, uh, ad adopting struggles of you know, farm, uh, farmers and, and so on, but in racialized tones that create mm. hyperbole than bring about solutions to our context. So I, I don't know how that's the center, by the way, but very interesting. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the center at all, but yeah. you know, it's, it's all about political uh, mm. invention and entrepreneurship that you must position your brand <laughs> uh, politically so that you are attractive and you sound to be that voice of reason and that voice everybody should try and coalesce around. In fact, earlier today, Zil is saying, um, the point is to make sure that you push over the 50% plus one mark, but they're not certain that it's going to happen. But now, Stian Hazen is calling for the reformers uh, to come together across all political parties. And he sees mm. that within the ANC, there seems to be a good cohort of reformers. I am not certain what he means. Mm. And uh, I am not seeing the results of, from, of President Ramaphosa, for example, as a reformer or touted reformer, and I'm not seeing any gains that he's making in the state. I'm not seeing any reforms that he's able to do because reforming the state means you must take bold decisions. You must undo certain tendencies and arrangements of the bureaucracy, and you must not be fearful to do so in a bold manner, particularly because we are a country that always talks about structural problems, whether it is employment, whether it is the economy, whether it is racism, we often say these issues are structural, including violence itself in some instances. So where the issues are structural, you need a greater force of legislative 
uh, reformation rather than just tweaking in terms of appointments here and appointments there. Of course, one might say in the law enforcement agencies space, he has made some gains by ensuring that uh, those law enforcement agencies enjoy a degree of independence from political interference. But of mm. course, even there, there are still many problems that institutionally have to you know, change organizational cultures, uh, certain elements that are not as popular as you know, your national leadership in those law enforcement agencies. People who are quite embedded in those agencies and have been there for years and are resistive of this change that is coming across. So I think, you know, Stian Hazen is also trying to position a conversation within the DA because you must prepare people for a future that you think they might be reluctant to accept. I don't think it would be easy for some of the hardliner supporters of the Democratic Alliance to accept a coalition government with an ANC where they have been saying, uh, as, as Aubrey Machiku would say, uh, it's devils with halos and, uh, you know, angels with horns. So basically, mm. there are no good or bad people. And they are now starting to put themselves as the Democratic Alliance, I think, in a very difficult position where mm. they have to make a case that justifies that, in fact, inside the ANC, there are good people. They are just being stifled by the bad guys. When we mm. know that the problem, if we are honest in our analysis, as an institution, the ANC has lost its political morality base. And for that reason, all its leaders are unable to act in the best interest of the country because there is no longer a, moral, a political morality base that acts as a guide for everybody. So let me ask you about President Ramaphosa because this is the figure that Stian Hazen uh, centers this uh, reformist agenda around. How do you assess President Ramaphosa's position, both as president of the country and as president of the ANC as we speak in this year, 2021, where it seems to me that confidence in his ability to really turn this ship around is, is waning? No, absolutely. The confidence has waned and it's a function of a number of things. The president also happens to be someone who doesn't appreciate the need to engage society continuously. By engaging, I don't mean appearing on our screens and talking at us or to us. You need to be in conversation with us, helped by the media that acts as a mediator of views from society and views of those who are in power. So the president has not uh, submitted himself to the dictates of you know, that conversational leadership approach. And those are some of the things I thought he would take advantage of because you need as a president to always be mindful as to how you come across to your society. So the Absolutely. first thing has been those people who at some point gave him a chance when he came into power are now suddenly saying the president is inaccessible. It's not clear what the vision is. We are no longer sure if this president wants to take decisions. We are no longer sure if this president wants to be held accountable and be open in terms of how he governs. Now, those are important values which are ingredients to a functioning democracy where leaders can be held accountable, they behave in a transparent manner, and of course, at the end of the day, society doesn't feel that 
these leaders have become inaccessible. Society feels that these leaders throughout their term of office, they are always submitting themselves to the people and to society through this uh, medium that we call the media, broadly speaking. Now, mm -hmm. I would say the position of President Ramaphosa is one that is extremely weakened, but of his own doing, because it is him who chose to adopt a public relations type of presidency, wherein he is more worried about optics rather than substance, where he is more worried about sounding to be doing something than doing something, where he wants to appear as doing something. So he'll appoint all these things, investment envoys, you know, economic advisory council, investment summits, and these will morph into something else. And there's no report back to society. There are a variety of interministerial committees, advisory committees, and all sorts of other committees, anti-corruption unit being mooted, and all of these other things that really make us ask the question, if this is a reformation agenda, why does it appear to be externalizing the functions of the state? Because the reformation agenda, in its essence, is about trying to rebuild capacity back into the state. And if it is about rebuilding capacity back into the state, we must then see fundamental changes in the bureaucratic arrangements, in the policy articulations of the state, and of course, in the resourcing of certain state issues that are a priority to those who are reforming towards certain objectives that can be measured with adopted indicators that we can be able to follow. This is a very important issue if you are talking about a reform agenda. A reform agenda cannot be about continued hollowing out of the capacity of the state. Now, I know this word has been used previously to say the last administration before President Ramaphosa hollowed out the state so that the politicians could act with impunity and not fear the might of the law because you had crippled the institutions that, were, that would hold political power accountable to the book mm -hmm. and to the rule of law. But there is a different hollowing out that is happening with President Ramaphosa, which further weakens an already weak state. Uh, and that is to say, well, if we can't get it done through the state, uh, let us put the solidarity fund because nobody uh, you know, trusts the state to do things right. If we are not getting money to fight gender-based violence and femicide, well, let us put a, J a JBVF farm, one, that will be chaired by the private sector, and the private sector will make possibility for you know, other stakeholders to come into the fund and be participants. But what is quite clear is that he is having a lack of confidence in the very state that he leads, and he is purported to be in the process of reforming. I don't see any reformation. Instead, I see the externalization of the state, the weakening of the state, the creation of multiple parallel bodies, at times with similar mandates, because I don't understand why you need an economic advisory council, but at the same time, you need an, a quasi-investment council. And at the same time, you also need a state-owned enterprises presidential council. Why would the issues of the state-owned enterprises not be part of the work of the economic advisory council? At the end of the day, what you create is a situation where the president has too many advisors and 
either because issues are in conflict and, and, and in competition in terms of the advices that he gets, you then get a situation wherein he doesn't act so that he doesn't appear to be siding with any of the advice that he's getting. But of course, as I always say, advice is as good as the ears it lands on. We must ask, has the president given South Africa a vision map in terms of where he wants to go? So if you talk about then President Nelson Mandela, the vision map was around issues of reconciliation and transition and justice. Whether those were imperfect or perfect is another story, but the vision map was quite laid out. You knew what he was trying to do. Former President Tabumbegi uh, introduced us to the concepts of the African Renaissance. He started analyzing our economy as two economies in one. He started giving us this class uh, uh, analysis at times of how we are as an economy. And of course, that made the charge to him to say he is racist because he was now characterizing uh, the economy of the haves as quite a white economy and the economy of the have-nots as a black economy in fundamental terms because those are the people that were languishing in poverty uh, when he was making these statements. Now, with President Ramaphosa, it's not enough to say there have been nine wasted years and therefore we are going to do things differently. What is it that you stand for? Is it a president who wants to deal with the question of employment? Is the president who wants to deal with the question of the economy? Because remember, even now, what he has done is not present a broad overarching uh, plan for the economy. If you go to former President Mbeki, whether you disagree or agree with Gear, but Gear was there and he implemented certain aspects of it. President Ramaphosa is still trying to tweak a very outdated document called the National Development Plan, whose, in, whose, whose indicators for success have not been met in about 10 years uh, now, almost 10 years in fact, because it was adopted in 2012. And nothing seems to be coming right of the imagination of the National Development Plan. And for now, he should then be saying, I need to rethink the strategy and vision of the country. And I don't think he has given us that. For that reason, for that reason, he is much weaker on his own weaknesses rather than he is weaker on political threats that he's facing from others. I don't buy into this thing that because of the margin at Nazareth, having been small of less than 200 votes that he won the presidency mm. with, mm. therefore, the president has no power to act. He has power to act. He's protected by the constitution. In fact, that is why the constitution of this country says, once the National Assembly elects you as president, you cease to be a member of parliament. Because what it then does is that even if your political party were to terminate your membership, you do not lose your seat of being president. Unlike with members of parliament, if a political party terminates the membership of a member of parliament, that member of parliament ceases to be a member of the National Assembly by virtue of their membership in the party they represent being terminated. But the president is protected from those whims of the political party so that the political party must go to the National Assembly, move a motion of no confidence, or move a section 89 motion to remove the president for wrongdoing uh, such as, you know, um, misconduct, uh, failing to uphold uh, the constitution uh, by way of violating it, or being incapacitated, incapacitated to perform 
uh, duties in office. Now, for me, the president has enough room and protection to act, and there will be no repercussions. Where Ramaphosa's strategy, I think, fails is in him not deciding whether he desires a second term as ANC president or not. Because if he still desires a second term as ANC president, then he has to appease as many sections of the ANC as possible. And he has to hold together this elusive unity intact, even though it is not even there. And by virtue of that, at times he will act, but he will also retreat. And then he will use society to try and fight his own ANC battles. And this is why sometimes we see the media being allowed to listen in when the president is giving his closing remarks to the National Executive Committee meetings, to the National Executive Committee's Lehutla. These are things that are unheard of, but he does these things. He writes open letters to ANC members because he's trying to use society. He's trying to guilt trip the ANC into acting by saying, well, society expects you to act because I've already informed them on these things, which is an extremely uh, weak position, by the way, politically, because it means that on your own, you have no ability to assert your authority, your mission and vision over the organization and turn even the skeptics within your political party to side with you, to buy into your vision. It's been three years plus now since the president was elected at Nazareth but we are not seeing the fruits of his work politically to assert his authority. Everything in the ANC is open to debate. Everything is open to being second-guessed. Everything is open to manipulation and interpretation. And that's because the president has not decided politically what it is that he wants to achieve with his term of office. And because he might be thinking of future terms of office ahead of him, he then has to you know, uh, play nice at times with what appears to be really uh, a collapse of the organization. And really the moral fiber of the organization is in part collapsing right before his eyes because in fact, he himself has become immoral by playing for his own personal ambitions ahead of the national interest of the country, including organizational interests of the ANC. And that, that puts him in um, something of a, a vulnerable position because certainly in 2018, right off the victory of, of Nazrek, the, the marginal victory, at least for him, we always should remember that the, the, the top six in the NEC was, was a draw, I think. Um, he, had a, he had a window a window where he could convince people that he was for real. And if he, I think if he exploited that window, then his position in the ANC would have also strengthened because the ANC would have gained great, I think greater electoral support than it got even in 2019. And many of his supporters would have stayed on side internally and externally. Now, because he's played this game, this, sh this shell game, where sometimes he appeases ANC people, then he, he, he comes out against, you know, certain factions, but euphemistically. Now there's a question about his own coalition itself. Is that coalition holding, right? Because 
I watched your SABC uh, interview, which I thought was interesting. By the way, go and watch that after you, after you watch this. Um, where you were talking about Mashatile and what I call the Mama Ma faction. Mashatile, Mantashe, and Mabuza. <laughs> so the Mama Ma faction or, or grouping of Mashatile, Mabuza, and Mantashe who are, who are key to Ramaphosa's ascension to the presidency. Now suddenly they turn around and they think, hold on, don't we, don't we control the party? And to what extent do you think that that coalition, from what you can read, is, is holding itself? The RET faction has, has its own divisions and splits as well. But because this is the governing coalition, I think it's an important question. Uh, how do you see that faction or that group uh, moving into 2022? And do you think that we'll see de-alignments before we get to 2022? Okay, I think let me just quickly touch on an important issue you are raising, which mm. is um, around the window period that the president had to consolidate yeah. his power within the ANC before we get to this one of the coalition. Mm, absolutely. If you remember post Nasrek, something very worrying happens. The Secretary General, Ace Makashul, two weeks or a week after Nasrek, starts visiting structures. First off the bat, he visits uh, members in Printemaritbeck in KwaZulu-Natal, where he says it's just a matter of five years, mm -hmm. and then the ANC that they know will return. What does President Ramaphosa do? He goes around visiting elderly uh, members of the ANC, some who have been made his Twalandwe, others whom they were delivering to as his Twalandwe. So, Winnie Matigizela Mandela, the likes of Dennis Goldberg, and, and, and. So mm -hmm. almost as, I think he even visits uh, Emeritus Bishop Desmond Tutu, almost as though he is seeking legitimation from these elders, as though he is accepting that his ascendancy to the political, to the helm of the political organization has not been politically legitimate. And where he derives this sense of insecurity, I think, is because he knows that it was at the 11th hour that Mpumalanga decided to vote for him and with him. And this is where it comes into this question of this uh, mama mama faction you are talking mm. about. Mm. Mm. Because then he's accepting, it's not of his own mobilizing of constituencies alone. Mm. He has been used conveniently, but if he gains the favor of these elders and their approval, it might then make those who are against him rethink their strategy to say, well, we can't be going against the wishes of those we say they have become the wisdom of the party, uh, the moral beacons and the you know, shining torches or the torch bearers of what our revolutionary morality means. That was a very curious moment. Then I think, of course, as I said in that interview, at some point they would even color coordinate. I remember when they went to see uh, King Goodwill Zolitini, they were all wearing uh, light blue shirts and black jackets. Uh, and that was Ramaphosa, David Mabuza, Paul Mashatine. And I thought, this is interesting. I mean, someone mm -hmm. might say it's coincidental. I don't think so. I think mm -hmm. they were actually 
good chats going on at that time. There was a lot of romance around them, if you were to use colloquial speak. Mm. And slowly that started to shift. The first issue, by the way, that causes shifts is how you deploy the deputy president and what duties you give to him mm. or her. Mm. 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 And I think Mabuza quickly noticed when in office that hey, I'm not going to be given much because that's what made Kalema Mutlande despondent with Zuma, made Ramaphosa despondent with Zuma. Like you are mm. just appearing as Zuma someone who occupies the position, but you are just a mascot of the president. Mm. President decides where you go. So you actually start feeling, hey, I'm not in power. I'm not in charge. Mm. Um, and so I think this coalition you talk about, which was quite pro-Ramaphosa, which glued together important provinces, by the way, the Eastern Cape, Mpumalanga, and to an mm. extent, Gauteng, mm. around the leadership of President Ramaphosa at a political level. They started to probably develop certain disagreements with him. And the first moment of disagreements, by the way, happens in a short video clip that is leaked uh, ahead of the Devon rally in 2019, if I'm not mistaken, mm. where David, David Mabu, Gwede Mandashe comes in, starts greeting people, but doesn't greet others. And David Mabuza uh, asks Mandashe, hey, Utini uh, And then uh, Gwede Mandashe says, and then Mabuza says, <laughs> Now, it appears a very small, insignificant moment, but I think as far back uh, as to that Deben uh, rally, uh, which was the, the January 8th statement, which was, I think, also acted as a manifesto launch of the ANC at the time, out of the 2019 elections, becomes important for me because it starts to show divisions along your know, David Mabuza, Gwede Mandashe, uh, where they, in fact, um, you know, enters wearing a T-shirt with Cyril's face at mm. that rally mm. uh, mm. to, to demonstrate his allegiance and loyalty to the president. And he's the only mm. top six member wearing an, an ANC T-shirt with the face of the leader. Now, these things are important because you must remember that Mabuza continues to be a player, a role player in the politics of the ANC but he has become a desperate player. Once you leave your province to national leadership, mm. provincial dynamics keep on taking care of themselves. There are all sorts of uh, reconfigurations and de-alignments that happen without your blessings. Mm. 